0: This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show. The Chronicles of Filth continue. This episode features a conversation with James McIlroy. He was the group's guitarist, Cradle of Filth's guitarist, from around 2004 to 2012. Now, the reason I thought it was interesting to get James onto the show is because I felt that he had some insight to offer. Of course, he has something to say about his tenure in the group, but he was actually the guitarist alongside of Paul, Paul Allender. And he's the first of the post-2000 members that I've reached out and asked if he's interested in appearing on the show. Of course, he said yes. The other people, Lindsay, Richard, Lindsay and Richard I think are the only other two, they were all part of an interview cycle, so promotional or tour, that sort of thing. But in James's case, I'm genuinely curious to hear what he has to say about his tenure in the group and that's why he has earned a Guernsey on the Chronicles of Filth. I won't go into a heap of detail here in the introduction about what we talk about because all shall be revealed needless to say i enjoy his company a lot he's a fantastic fella if i had the time available we could easily have spoken for well over the two hours we did and on that point we may have some plans in the future to revisit the conversation or do something else
1: we shall see anyway here he is james McIlroy. oh geez you start recording already (laughs)
0: Something's got to be done, hasn't it? Right from the get go, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Premier great. event. Oh, Premier <laughs> event. Come <but I'm> on, <laughs> <laughs> mate! There'll be you'll you'll be surprised. There'll be tons of there are tons of people out there that are looking forward to hearing from you. Believe me, you. Uh, I uh, I must confess my interest in Cradle of Filth. It ended when Stuart left the band. I got to know Paul after the fact. But it turns out you're the one guy in that post-Stewart epoch that people are quite fond of, okay? And uh, it could be Sarah. Is it my
1: good, is it my good looks and natural charm? <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta got got be that your youthful enthusiasm you can, you can, you can and vigor. You can, you can and vigor. Of that shit <laughs> out, <'cause laughs> normal, <quite> self-depreciating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's your youthful enthusiasm and vigor, brother. Come on, you know you've got it in the space. You know you've got it right here. You know, and uh but pe- people, I've had a few requests for it. Let's face it, and and it, it hasn't happened for any of the when I say the newer members. It hasn't
1: happened for anybody else. So there you go know, yeah. maybe, it's, maybe it's the air of mystery because I've never really given interviews or well, never been asked, I think, more and more is the case.
0: And that is a very common theme across the band, which is most unusual because I'm a journalist and, and an author, and there aren't that many stories out there in extreme metal, I must say. But there is one here with Cradle of Filth because the group has well over something in the vicinity of 30 tenured members and far, far more if you include studio
1: guests and people oh, man, that have no, done tours. I, was... I think I remember sitting in a pub and back in 2003, 2003 2004, mm. I think we could, we could all, they, they could all count well over 30 by that point. Mm. And I was, that was 20 years ago. Yes, yeah. And it it almost like it's almost like a Pokemon card collection, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And there's
0: people like me of my vintage. I'm 45, so I was into Gen Two black metal. Not certainly not when it first came out in 99 or 91. Being in Australia, it was impossible. You know, we got things you know years after the fact in some cases. But 92 thereabouts, Immortal, those sorts of bands there. And then I heard Cradle with uh, Dusk and Her Embrace, which is when I think just about everybody in Australia would have gotten to the band unless you were really, you know, one of the cold black metal aficionados who really knew what was going on. And it just seemed like the group was going to take over the world for a period of time there, and it just came crashing apart at some point. And they became just another band with a revolving door of... Of band members, and it was quite sad, really, because those who were there back in the nineties, we know that metal was was it wasn't popular. It wasn't really going anywhere, and there were a couple of bands oh, was... like Cradle of Filth that spearheaded the revolution.
1: Yeah, no, I remember nineties metal just really was not cool. I was mm. I was walking around like everyone's into grunge and stuff like that, and I, I sat there with my jeans jacket with my Iron Maiden patches on it, Megadeth, and all that kind of stuff. And no one was into that stuff. It was like it was like you yeah, know, it was just not even even metal is not cool to be into like glam metal either. And I loved that shit. I mean that's what yeah. I started on. So and that, that stuff was amazing. So like you know, mid-90s, end of the 90s, running around, you'd be into like you know, all the general 90s bands like trying to trying to avoid new. I know. Was it Sepultura's before they kind of imploded as well? Mm, yes, yeah. like another ones, like Paradise Lost. one of my favorite bands for so long. Oh, Megadeth, you know, all that fresh stuff, all that the nineties. There's a really rich ground for like bands, but no one was into it. It was just not cool mm. at all. And you know, if you then went around saying, you know, I love Skid Row, people just look at you, girl, like you what? Are you, are you serious? And got like, yeah, man. Like, I love Skid Row, Motley Crue and stuff like that. And That was definitely not cool. But yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean about Cradle. They, they were like, um, around cruelty. Like They were definitely like the poster boys. They were like every single magazine and stuff like that. So, yeah.
0: They were huge for a period of time there with the fans. And also, uh, they became media darlings. And... That might allude to some of their success, but I, I want to talk about you, though. I want to because that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about you and your tenure. But why do we? What do we start with? What you're doing now, then, and then we'll you know ease into Cradle of Filth again because yeah, I know you've got a, sure. a group that I know you got a group these days called Summon the Wolves. So can you tell us what's going on there?
1: So, um, you know, I, I oh, this is years and years ago. So it's like a, you, I had my neck operated on because apparently I'd been running around for like. I know 12 years swinging my head about with a broken neck which I literally broke on my third gig of cradle it's, it, it you couldn't yeah. make that shit up and I literally just obliterated discs in my neck and then spent the next 12 years not realizing I had and so shortly after that that operation I just uh I kind of got like inspired to, like starting writing a couple of things and I tried and you know, I starting up a project with um, some people I knew but I didn't really go anywhere. And over the next couple of years, I just wrote bits here and there. And then I think during the pandemic, um, when I kind of moved country halfway through, because, you know, I'm stupid like that. And uh, <laughs> where did you move to? I moved to Belgium. So, because um, that, that, I mean, that's that's where I grew up. And I, I think I just had enough of England at that point, And so I just needed a fresh start. And I came over here and, I kind of got in contact with you know, people I just used to know when I was when I was uh, young they they'd gone off and done all their own things they'd played in their bands they're like medium successful like pretty well known in Belgium and stuff like that and I just just you know <clears throat> I really just wanted to have the joy of being in a band where when it's fun they're all you, they're all your mates mm. and you know you all get on and there's no weird stuff going on so I, <clears throat> I dug up all this stuff i had lying around and started writing some new stuff and um that turned into summon the wolves so that's basically just it's kind of whatever comes out more than sticking to a style because i don't really believe that anyone should start a band and and i mean the death knell for any band for me is when they go we're gonna start a black metal band like immortal and at that point you've you've pretty much already completely lost it because no one wants another immortal. There's one immortal and they're really cool. And if you're going to be immortal, you're never going to be immortal because your influence is immortal. So you're never going to sound like them. The only, I mean, it's, it's one of those true things. You're never going to sound like the bands you idolize because you don't have the same influences. So you just don't don't bother. You just have to be yourself. And with this, with the of the Wolf stuff, this is myself. And the other guys in the band so i'll just have like a template of a song and we'll just go in and just like you know how it used to be when you had fun you take it into a room you work on it and then you just let everyone kind of do their own thing and then it will sound like a band as opposed to like a one-man recording project i mean there's no point being a little hitler and going everyone has to do exactly what i tell them to because mm. that takes the fun out of it and there's, there's no point so everyone contributes write bits, bits here and there and more and more as time goes on and you start with a template and then you just let it evolve mm-hmm. which is what all good bands do so that was the kind of the thing from the outset just to have fun and not really care too much and then see what comes out and hopefully mate, well, it's good so you know so it starts that up and you now the whole pandemic did kind of put little sticks yeah obstacles in the way shall we say like you can't get together you can't rehearse it's like a bit harder to get everyone together and find members and stuff like that but um eventually has all been done and as it stands now we're just having a quick look at a few studios to start basically tracking an entire album say i think about november Mm -hmm. and then we have that at the beginning of next year so that that'll be really cool so brand new band.
0: It's majority of your material with generous contributions from the other members as well.
1: And your debut's on the horizon. That's pretty much a summary in way less words than I just used. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Good stuff. Yeah. And what what are your ambitions for it? Do you hope it tours and you can take it
1: abroad? Um, I'd love to take it abroad and stuff like that. I'd love to I mean just to I just I just love playing live. That's one of the things I've always always really, really enjoyed. So, you know, playing live, go to go to a few countries, you know, see some stuff, and just, just generally have fun. I mean, I'm pretty realistic. I'm not gonna say like, oh, we're gonna be the biggest thing ever, because you know it's whatever happens, happens really. That's the kind of thing. And I think more than anything, I kind of hope that people just enjoy it because that's why we kind of make music as part of this because of our, our own artistic expression part of it. Cause we just really like entertaining people and we like, when people go like, Oh, that song was really cool. Like, if I listened to that and you know, this, this is what it meant to me. Got like, wow. That's as I, I pretty much have always said, now, if you could make one guy pick up guitar or one girl, then you've already done your job. Like more than you ever thought you would as a kid and you've, start to someone else's like path to whatever their dream is up and ask them one of the coolest things ever just just like to realize you've inspired people it's really humbling by the way it's not like mm-hmm. one of those things that you take for granted it's like i, I still find it humbling when, when someone says oh i just started to play guitar because i heard this and you go like wow because i'm not going out i'm not kirk hammett i'm not Dave mustaine those are the guys that that made me want to pick well actually no it's not that's that's a lie what made me want to pick up a guitar was actually um, Steve Harris. And I wanted to play bass because uh, he wrote all the songs. So therefore I thought, like, it must be really important playing bass because they write all the songs. Mm. And I like, I can see you starting to smirk there.
0: I'm a bassist. <laughs> Sorry, I've got guitarists behind me here, but I'm a bassist, so I love Steve. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I mean, bass playing is such an art form and I bet I would have I loved it, but my friends started playing bass. And I thought, well, I can't copy him, can I? So I started playing playing guitar. But yeah, so I'm not <clears throat> I'm no Steve Harris. I'm no Dave Mustaine. I'm no Kirk Hammett. I'm no Greg McIntosh, Zach Wilde, Trey Azebatov, all the guys that I really loved growing up. So I find it extremely humbling when someone says that I might have actually had some influence on them. It's still one of those weird things, but it's cool.
0: Yeah. Are you living high off the luxury of uh, cradle royalties or have you still got to have a day job and everything else at the same time? I've got a day job. Come on.
1: serious. <laughs> That's
0: a loaded question. Don't worry if it's something I'll ask you later. It's,
1: just, it's a loaded It might be a loaded question, but come on. If, I think if you get into doing music thinking you're going to strike it rich, hmm. then you're either extremely confident or, you know, delusional. I mean, you just do this because you love it. That's the only reason. And the only reason I've ever done this is because it's made me happy. When it's not made me happy, I've just not done it. So, I mean, when I've, so I've got some of the wolves, I also, you know, playing a... Because I decided I needed more live experience and I hadn't played guitar for quite a while, so I joined another band called Mordcore, which... Actually, has a weird cradle collection because I think Adrian drummed on their first album. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. But yeah, no. So no, I've got I've got a day job, just like a uh, everyone else. Everybody else, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, I've got I've got to keep myself in guitars and amps somehow, and and music ain't going to buy all the uh, fun guitars that I love collecting and buying, and yeah. let's say now?
0: I can relate. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. Got, You've got an <laughs> awesome collection there behind you.
1: Yeah. There's, there's, there's a few missing. There's a few downstairs in the basement being worked on. There's a few in cases, which I don't take out because they're just too nice and they turn out that they're actually quite, they turn out to be rare and stuff like that. So I've got mm. a couple of guitars I kind of use just for recording, but then they just live in the case. So we don't you know, accidentally dropped them from a great height or does do something utterly stupid to them. Because I've done this before. I feel like I've had one of these dream guitars and you get it and you go like, oh man, it's got no chips. This is awesome. You put it on the rack so you can see it all the time. And then something falls off a shelf and of the 10 guitars of the day, it has to hit the one. It has to chip the one yeah. that's completely perfect that you spent ages trying to find. So uh, I've learned my lesson quite a few times on that one. So they now just live in cases and so I just pick them out and, Played them every so often and I want to record for some of them. I just use them.
0: Or if you've got kids and the rare one or the interesting one or the one you don't want them to touch is the one that they really, really do want to touch and they put biscuit and crayon and stuff all over it i can tell you that's happened a few times yeah. <laughs> i've learned just keep him away and bring him out i mean our kids are a bit older now they're eight and ten but uh when they were juniors my god <laughs> anything that i had out that was valuable or important in this room here it uh it tended to be uh as soon as you say no don't touch it that's yes i want that I that's, that's, that's what thing, i want yeah, yeah. Uh, so l- let's talk about about cradle okay because you you This is what my understanding is, and uh, diving into Encyclopedia Battalion. So you played and toured behind Nymphetamine in 2004. You left around Thornography in 2006 and Godspeed of the Devil's Thunder. They were released in your absence. But then you came back for an album called Darkly, Darkly, Venus Aversa, I think it is, and the Evermore Darkly EP in 2011 and then you left before the manticore and other horrors in 2012 so it's well, two is that right
1: that's not quite right so there you go. I think um I literally would have made my live debut with cradland at the end of 2002 if things had gone to plan because um uh, I think they were in the studio and I'd been auditioning and that's that's an entirely different story. But I had like some gigs planned for the end end of two thousand two, like a UK mini tour that I was supposed to be on, and that got cancelled. So that didn't happen. So the next thing that the first time I actually appeared with Cradle was when they did um Russia, I think, in either February or March of two thousand and three, yeah. and so I toured on the back of the Damnation album. All the European tour, Osfest. US tours, and then, you know, was on the nymphetamine, did all the nymphetamine tours, then left. And then I think at the end of, yeah, Godspeed, I came back, did the Dark Versa thing and then I toured for Manticore as well. And then after that left and had neck surgery. So been been there and about. (laughs) It's a bit longer than whatever Wikipedia says. Yeah. That's kind of long thoughts of it.
0: But you were you were gonna come back after the surgery? Is that the plan?
1: Um I don't know to be honest. It was it, the, the surgery was was really weird. I mean, I'd spent looking back at it now. I'd have like about 10, 12 years where I'd drop plectrums for no reason. I'd just drop things out of my right hand. Like all this time from from after I played the first gig on European tour in two thousand and three, when I literally felt my um, entire back just go on the in the first five seconds of the first song wow. and yeah. It, it it was like when I, I remember when I came off stage, my back was literally like it felt like a cauldron. Like you know, if you, if you can imagine your flesh, flesh just bubbling. It sounds like a death metal song, really, doesn't it? Like bubbling flesh. flesh like my spine like is broken, and my flesh, flesh spine. is bubbling, bubbling yeah. with the flesh of the distance. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I've been dropping things all over the place. I mean, the, 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 like some days you'd find like. I could, so, you know, everything's on fire of your right hand. The other days, it's like really weird. And so, yeah, I, I didn't know I had nerve damage and stuff like that. So mm. I went in for this surgery. And I think the first one, when I was supposed to go in, just didn't feel all right. So I just went, nah, i not doing this. And then I went went for the same surgery, but slightly different, couple of months later, went through with that. And when I woke up, I literally like the strength of my right hand just went increased by like 200%. It was really weird. Mm like totally, totally weird. But then after that, they go like, you know, you can't headbang. you've got to wait until your neck's healed. That's going to take like, oh God, a year or two years at least while all the bone grows together through the titanium cage you just had screwed into your neck. And, then, you know, as we cradle, they've, they had um, a tour and I just couldn't do it. So they got some other guys in and then, you know, because I couldn't, after that, you just can't commit to it. It was like, when am I going to be better? gonna take a while. I mean it's literally I think for about three, four months afterwards, I was still kind of recovering and in quite quite a few ways. So yeah, and I've got other guys and then you know, just move on. So but I'm not bitter. You I think you'll probably find that there's there's people who might might play in the band that maybe are bitter about stuff or something like that. But in my case, not because I literally got to do everything that I ever thought I might might do, like you dream as a kid, and then and then some more more on top of that. So you know, yeah, I ain't got nothing to complain about.
0: You're the first of the post two thousand members that I've spoken to, so this is why it's interesting and why it's uh, why gaining your <laughs> insight will be very unique. But yeah, no, you're not wrong. I've, I've spoken to. Uh, it's probably easier for me to say who I haven't spoken to, which is down to uh, Les Smith, Sarah, who I am communicating with, and I am very hopeful at some point she'll come onto the show. But we'll see, we'll see what happens there. And uh, but yes, Stuart, uh, Nick, uh, the uh, Ryan brothers, uh, that you name it, I've spoken to all of them, and it's certainly uh, the Ryan brothers are a bit more circumspect because it was it's thirty five years ago now for them. But uh, for for Stuart and for Nick, it's a di- bit of a different story. I think it's fair to say they were they were integral in that that era that yeah. we, we were both talking about up top there. And uh, there was there was it wasn't there were was some things that were out there that were put out there into the media and fans were uh, none the wiser until. They'd spoken the truth about things when we had conversations and set the record straight about what happened in the band when they were in it. But those conversations have been out there for some time. But yeah, they they weren't happy. There's there's no question about that. And I think it's pretty sad from the Stuart perspective because he's no longer no longer with us. And there was the cruelty re release thing and and all the rest of it. So Danny certainly is the master and commander of that ship, and uh, and what he says goes these days, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware. So. So your catalyst for leaving was the medical event and you weren't invited back in or you weren't inv- invited to say, let's just see how it goes. And whenever you're ready, give us a call and we'll see how things are.
1: Mm, no, but I think it's one of those things where you kind of see sometimes bands just move on. And I wasn't exactly, you know, forthcoming. Like, when can I come back? When I can, can I come back and stuff like that? So I think also... Maybe for me is also run its course a little bit. Because as I've said, I mean, I'll only do something if I'm happy with it. I see absolutely zero point in just being in a band, just to be in a band because it's a well-known band. And um yeah, and the other thing I found is like um sometimes it's just not the same anymore anymore. Because you know, when I when I joined the band, I was like there's Adrian, there's there's a you know, Martin, Paul, Dave, Sarah, all the, all those people. And, you know, as, as people change in the band, sometimes you come to the conclusion that it's like, it doesn't feel the same as it did before. And at that point you're going, it's like, you know, well, I mean, I could go like, yeah, take it back and stuff like that. But then you go like, well, I don't know half the guys in the band now. It's like a well, one, I know Dan, but that that's kind of it. And, um, you also have to ask yourself, do I have something to say musically at this point? Is it like, you know, am I going to be able to write a Cradle album? Because it's a very specific mindset to write a Cradle album. You're very, very boxed into what, what fans expect. You can't just, you know, go like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of these weird riffs on it because people go like, what, what the fuck is this? What are you doing? It's kind of like, you don't want to be... <laughs> It's just that experimental, that you write the album that everybody hates, like everybody thinks is utter, utter complete trash and stuff like that. So it's a very specific mindset. There's a very specific style, as you were, and I think it's like one of the things I do think a lot of bands struggle with, unless they, as as where you just inject f- fresh blood and fresh people, is you you struggle to kind of. Um reinvent yourself within the parameters of who your fans expect you to be if that kind of makes sense and in a lot of things this this comes back to you know when i said at the beginning it's like you know if you want to if you start a band and say i'm going to sound like immortal like i don't don't envy anyone in cradle having to make a cradle album because that's like the same thing it's like saying we're going to stand about start a band that sounds like Cradle of Filth. We don't have the same influences as the people that were in the band in the 90s or the beginning of the 2000s or 2010s because we're not the same people. And you have that pressure to sound like those same people. Like, you know, personally, I always felt like, like Stuart wrote, Stuart and, G and John wrote, wrote amazing riffs and stuff like that. I always like, got like, you know... They were so cool. Like Fifth Empire is one of my favorite EPs by Cradle. I mean, you might surprise you, but I'm not that into Dusk. It was all about Fifth Empire and uh, cruelty and the beast for me. That those those two releases for me are like, wow, oh, they're amazing and stuff like yeah. that. And then, you know, Paul Alander, he he wrote, wrote, wrote some amazing riffs, and you know, after a while, you kind of like get his style as well and stuff like that. But if I were say, Completely, never having played in Cradle, if they went like, "Oh, go on, go play in Cradle now," I do think I'd actually struggle to write a Cradle album that that I think a fan expects to hear because I just don't have the same influences as those guys, mm. especially not if I wasn't you know, even born when um, principal came out or something like that, which you know could technically happen these days because I, none of us. I'm not young. And I was I was pretty young when I was in the band compared to the rest. So, yeah, that's a really good point. I,
0: I get the impression just based on there's certainly two audiences. There's people of my vintage or who are interested in the band in the 90s who sort of stopped when midian came. It's a bunch of us that are around about that. We feel that the the new wave of British heavy metal influence was really important, and that sort of went away when Stuart when Stewart left. Uh, and then there's the the heavy metal fans that sort of. Feel as though Cradle of Filth are more entwined with the broader heavy metal explosion that happened after 2000, and there are some people out there that I've noticed who don't even really pay that much attention to what happened in the 90s, which is which to the young fan in me, to the 17 and 18 year old in me, is virtually inconceivable. But it does, it does. is a question that I've wanted to ask you for some time, actually. Okay, given you were the other guitarist in the group with Paul. Your understanding of the group's history, do you feel as though it's fair to say, and it's a big statement, I know, but I'm going to say it anyway no Paul Lender, no cradle of filth?
1: Um, oh, well, I know Paul, so I still speak to him. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to answer it this way it's like, you know, Paul was there at the beginning of the Paul Ryans and everyone else. Hmm. And so you can't, you cannot deny that Principle of Evil Made Flesh is a breakthrough album and has got Paul written all over it, as does Dusk Cover Embrace. If you look at those riffs, that is just Paul's riffing, mm. just all there. But if you then look at Cruelty, that's all Stuart and Gian. If you then look at, um, oh man, Midian after that, that's all Gian and Paul. So if if you just come out with a sweeping statement saying Paul Allener is Cradle of Filth, yeah, he's a lot to do with Cradle of Filth. He carried the band right through, I think, the end of the nineties to the point where he left as well. He was instrumental, he was there in the beginning. Mm. But you just cannot I think you I don't think you can say one person is is cradle of filth. I think part of their strength, especially during the nineties and stuff like that, was that they did have those different writing styles come in but still kept kind of the same vibe to it i mean you could also say you know without les cruelty wouldn't have sounded the same because his keyboard parts are just yeah. awesome So without stewart and gin cruelty wouldn't have sounded the same you wouldn't have had that album you can also say you know without paul you wouldn't have had dusk and embrace you wouldn't have had the you can kind of say it's like all these albums that people I just like, you know, love listening to and it was evolving. So I don't think you can really say one person is cradle filth when it comes to the music. It's... But I do think that all the people that I mentioned, like Paul, Stuart, Gian, they all definitely had their own stamp on the music. Kind of like that. And... Um, I can't really comment on anything new, new cradle-wise because I just haven't listened to it. I think you get to a stage where you've, yes, you've, played, you've heard so many so many cradle songs and for me um, I've played some of those songs so many times and at the end of it you go like I just don't want to listen to it and then because I've heard it so much that I've not really actually listened to much of stuff but I do know they are, the, they've done some cool stuff people have told me like this that's kind of has has a vibe to it but it'll be a i guess like you get with a lot of bands it'll be a, a new chapter where you have fans that absolutely love it and you get all the fans that don't like it and then you get new fans that do so it's the same with everything. Like I mean, I don't, I don't think anything Maiden did after Seventh Son was was particularly great. But some people think Brave New World is awesome. But I think well, I agree I just, with you one hundred percent on that point. They I, just, I don't not think it's, I think it's okay. And I was really excited at the time. But I think it's one of those um, classic albums. I've got some amazing albums because two before weren't that great. You know, kind of like Death Magnetic from Metallica, oh, which everyone would have panned. And completely told, said, it's like this is this is not very good at all. If if they had to released um, Sentanga, mm. now I have a weird theory that they recorded Sentanga, they recorded Death Magnetic first, realised it wasn't that good, then decided to make the, the one of the worst albums imaginable and mix it so so terribly, oh, so bring it true. out, and then go like, you know, if you bring this out, we'll take the short term pain, and then we'll bring out the next album, and everyone will think we're good again
0: i agree totally everything <laughs> you just said there about metallica and iron maiden <laughs> i agree with completely i i the the whole i don't know what on earth went on with iron maiden but i'm with you i even when x uh, x factor came out i was like oh great new maiden album even that absolute stinker virtual 11 i was uh i got it as soon as he could get it here and uh, listened to it for a couple of weeks and thought, wow, it's a new Maiden album and stuff. But in hindsight, it's it's not there. They lost it and uh, they kind of got it back when Kevin Shirley became the producer there. But I haven't listened to. I, I couldn't rate anything Maiden did outside of some of the songs on A Matter of Life and Death. I think the Benjamin Brigg track is one of their greatest ever, greatest oh, ever. But that's it. I,
1: I actually haven't listened to really anything after Brave New World. I've seen their Water albums, but you know, for someone who played a couple of Maiden tapes to death as the first things he ever bought that were vaguely that were vaguely metal, and to be so obsessed with them as a kid to then just go, like, I don't Same. really yeah. care that much anymore. It's it's, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, I guess your musical taste has evolved, and I, but I do still like having the old Maiden tracks, and if they're played live, I will listen to them. But um, I remember seeing them, at, I think, Grassport, I think it was last year, or something like that, it's local festival there. And I walked away after five songs because I hadn't played anything I liked. Literally, they, they just played all new stuff. And I thought, this is just really pedestrian and boring. And I just, I'm not into it. Someone just did watch some fun bands that were playing fun music that was cool. And it's a shame because I I, I remember seeing them like 20 years when Bruce came back, the gigs there and just uh, being amazing, like traveling around, seeing a couple of things. But... Yeah, Brave New World wasn't there for me. And I mean, the other thing is like, I think Blaze Bailey, for what he does, his style, he's a really good singer. He was just completely the wrong singer for Iron Maiden, completely the wrong singer. He didn't, he, it wasn't the right vocal range, and he was never going to be Bruce Dickinson. So basically, I think he was cursed from the beginning.
0: I think you and I cut from exactly the same cloth, so you, literally, your, your views on things sound exactly like the way I speak, and I cop a lot of shit for it, but I couldn't care less. I'm not a fanboy. Uh, no. You like what you like, and you're prepared to express your opinion.
1: I mean, come on. Power Slave for me is just like just like the ultimate album, and there's a good mm. reasons for that. It's because I used to have a CD player, and you could program, I think, like, what was it, 20 or 30 tracks on it Like to go off. And, you know, I I think I think I must have driven my parents absolutely mental when I was a kid because I just sit there at night and I put music on to go to sleep to it. I still still love doing that now because mm. it's, it's kind of weird. It's like it's like metal lullabies, mm-hmm. except you listen to death metal and, you know, yep, all science. kinds of horrible shit. But just, you know, it's, it's kind of calming and it sends you to sleep and stuff like that. But on Power Slave, if you took the, the rhyme of the ancient mariner and if you put that on... As the one track along with power slave because you, know, you get a 20 minute block for two songs so you can literally get a good four hours of a cd player before it stopped which must have been absolute torture but yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I, th- I think i think on these topics we'd agree on most things yeah but but i want to i want to ask you about cradle again because you did leave after a thornography what was the catalyst behind you leaving then
1: um I think it was literally a case of I'd just done like a, just done holding whole nymphetamin thing and writing for the new thing uh, Dave had gone and you know Martin had gone at that point and I just it just I think I just literally just sat there one day and went I'm not happy I mean I'm not not happy at all so at that point, I just went. You know, I can't at the moment. I can't um, live off this, and I'm just. I think it's like there was like like a, some kind of weird discussion at the time, and I just went. You know what? Nah, I'm I'm done. I just walked away and stuff like that. That that then that was it. And oh yeah, Adrian left as well. So there was like the whole thing might come back to where it's not the same people anymore mm. and yeah I just wasn't feeling it one of those things so what are you going to do then it's like yeah done so I ran off I think there's one riff on the album that I'm not credited for <laughs> but there you go. it's for not but I wasn't that I wasn't that bothered to be honest and then I went off and uh, started start another band, decided to do something else and stuff like that. But I think there's, there's one thing, if there's one thing in music that you always have to remember, it's like, you have to be happy with what you're doing. You have to go like, you know, I love this. Because as soon as you don't love it and you start writing music, people are going to hear that you don't love it and you're basically just doing it because you have to. And you can hear that in so many places. And I don't think that's fair. It doesn't matter how big the band is, I mean, like how much adulation you're getting or whatever. If it comes a point where you sit there going, oh, I'm not enjoying this, I'm not feeling it, then you know that whatever you're gonna put out, the people listening to it aren't gonna feel it either. And that's I don't think fair because you know, at the time people still paid for music. I mean, now I don't think anyone really cares because no one pays for music anymore, so you can do what the hell you want. But and for me, it's like if if I'd have like um. Oh, you, so when you when when you end up, end up like being like touring and say touring a band and stuff like that, you see all this shit that you never used to see on TV and the interviews where everyone's happy. Oh yeah, we're all getting along great. And then someone leaves because of like um, artistic differences, and then you basically learn that you know that's all bullshit. It's like there's a lot of bands that utterly hate each other, and they're just together because they don't have anything else to do they can't do anything else but they absolutely love each other they'll only see, see each other on stage and look at all this kind of like, wow man and then you get like some bands which is genuinely you know you look at them and go like they, they're always going to be kind of same lineup and they're a band like they're a like band band like i think the first one that pops in mind is actually kill switch engage always look at them and go, yeah, they're like a, a band, band, stuff like that. And they really haven't changed members really much apart from swapping singers and, and a drummer, but that core, of that, they're just, they're just them. And that's what you should be. And I think if you're not that, then you're kind of, it's kind of a lie, really. And that tension, I think, comes through in music that doesn't quite sit right. Because a band should always be sound like greater than the sum of its parts. That's what makes great bands great. It's not the fact that you've you've picked the virtuoso kid number one, virtuoso kid number two, stuck them together with a drummer who was born with eight arms, laughed at at school, but is now the world's greatest sticksman. And you put them together that they're going to make great music. This is not the case. And... For band, you really need to have that whole vibe where everything's firing all sin cylinders, and you basically just and that makes great albums, I find. Yeah. Some people might say Strife makes great albums, like but then bands implode after that. Once they make one good album, they just completely obliterate yeah, it's very common. Them together. But then you get bands that make great albums because they genuinely make great albums because that chemistry is there. So, yeah, so I find, my, find myself there going, you know, I just wasn't happy at the end of that. And I think I need to step away. And I'd always told myself, you know, this is really cool. It's really fun. It's like something that you never thought you'd do. So, you know, enjoy it while you can. And if you're ever not happy, then just walk away. Because there's no point... I mean, life's short enough. What's the point of making yourself miserable just because you want to be on a cover of a magazine or you want, like, you know, someone to think you're famous and talk to you? That's absolutely pointless. Because you get to the end of your life and you go, like, what the hell did I do with that for? It's like I wasn't happy, and uh, all this stuff it was hollow. So I've never wanted to be in that position. And so, yeah, not happy. Go do something else. Mm. But but you
0: clearly made an impression because I'm I'm sure I'm right in saying this. You're the only apart from Paul, you mate Paul, you're the only member that's been invited back.
1: Yeah. I was quite surprised about that as well. I was just <laughs> sitting there, sitting there, you know, doing do my day job and I got a call from Dave. He was like, uh, how do you feel about doing it at all? And I was like, Oh, okay. And at the time the company I was working for, they were it doesn't, they'd done something stupid and they were basically, you know, not doing what too well financially. So I thought, ah, yeah, screw it. I'll take this little sabbatical and I'll go off and um and do these gigs and stuff like fun. And that was that was one of those weird things, because it was like I hadn't really I'd seen Dave like over the years, but I hadn't really seen anyone else and I had like new drummer and stuff like that. So I ended up like I hadn't listened to any of the, any of the yeah. albums. I hadn't listened to any of the songs. I'd completely forgotten all the songs as well. So I had to go off and relearn them and then sat up Paul and just basically just said, oh, how would you play all this kind of stuff and go through it and learn it all. And I remember, like, I think the first gig was in Hamburg And I think Moonspell on that tour as well. Moonspell and Cradle seem to tour quite a lot. It's like they're joining at the hip or something like that. I don't know Mm. if that's still the case, but at the time, there were so many tours, I did like a 2003 tour with them, then an Amphetamine tour was with them. And then when the tour came back, that tour was with them as well. So they're they're awesome guys. And I remember just walking in, kind of getting into Hamburg, I think was the first date of that European leg, and just putting on the same makeup that I hadn't put on for years. And I just remember Dave just looking at me, grinning, going like, ah, it's back. <laughs> and it's cool. And it's, it was like fun. And that was the whole thing. It was like just totally fun again. And it's like really enjoyable. It's like I had, had a blast playing that tour and just, just playing songs again and stuff like that. Just being on stage. And then after that, I came to like, you know, new albums. So I started writing with Paul and that's how like Darkly came about. And that was a fun album that was a fun album to make I guess it's kind of like a forgotten album I don't think I don't know if many people listen to it or what they thought about it and stuff like that but I thought it was a really fun album like um, I think it's quite fast most of the time
0: mm. but you must get hit up you must get messages from fans out there who love the album and who just want to you know say hey I love the album this sort of thing on Instagram
1: and Facebook well that's if they can find me isn't it so you know I kind of I'm not. I'm not one of these people that's just terribly good at self-promotion, or people sticking my head out like, look at me, look at me, look at me, and stuff like that. And I mostly just post up like, pictures of guitars or hamsters that I'm building, and you know, rubbish stuff like that. It's like I think I've got maybe one or two pictures of myself on Instagram, and even that's just basically just hair. Mm. So, no. I'm not that great at updating updating pages and just doing the whole, I think you have to do this whole weekly thing where you post something up and keep people engaged and all that kind of stuff. And it's like oh, that's that.
0: terrible.
1: Yeah. And I'd rather just put something up when I've got something to say and when I've actually got something rather than, um, you know, big things coming. I love that. I love that phrase. You it's know, the usual Facebook fan thing. It's so it's pathetic. Kind of... Yeah. I,
0: know.
1: I see yeah. podcasters doing it as well. I've
0: got this huge interview and it's some... Band that's brand new and they're the new Cradle or they're the new Emperor or they're the new something or other. It's like, well, I'll just <laughs> yeah, stick with the old one. Thanks.
1: But yeah, <laughs> I stick with the old ones yeah. because, you know, there's, there's never going to be another band like Cradle. There's never going to be another band like Emperor. There's never going to be another band like Immortal. And if you say this band is the new blah, 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 then I already know what they're going to sound like. Yes. And they just basically going to sound like a bad copy. And yeah. that's not what I want. So as soon as I, I hear anyone go, this, this this is the new band, this is the new blah, 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 I'll just switch off and go like, you know, I can't be asked to listen to that. There's, like There's so much music out there. Why should I waste my time on something that's already been done? No, I agree. I, it's, like, it's ridiculous, I see, yeah. I do love finding new music as well. It's like I find, you know, over the years, the only way I think you keep if you're still excited about music you'll always look for new stuff you'll always kind of like try and find something new that you haven't heard before that's kind of cool and consuming and there's so much out there and stuff like that and i listen i like i try to listen to as much as possible like kind of give everything a chance because there's no there's good music and there's shit music and then there's absolutely fucking terrible music but you know hopefully you don't have to go there too often or be exposed to it too much but generally you'll find something the only thing I found recently is that uh, as you get older into the the ancient years you know before you become totally nihilistic and grumpy old man is that the um, stuff doesn't just doesn't you know when you when you're young everything's new and you go like oh I can listen to this album on repeat for three months until people want to kill me mm. and I just can't do that anymore but I'll find music that I absolutely love and I'll just listen to it again and again and again but I find I've just probably ended up um in that mode where you just consume music far quicker than you used to because you've kind of heard it. Apart from occasionally, you'll find something like, oh, man, this is absolutely brilliant. I think the last thing was, um, and I've totally forgotten the name, so this does not make make my point very very good, does it? Oh, good. (laughs) <laughs> Rivers of Nil, that's the one, Rivers of oh, Nihil. Oh, Yeah, great effort. Yeah. Yeah. I found them and I was like, I was brilliant. And I think that's that's one of the things I found really, like two years ago. I was like holed up in a shed in the cold outside um, building amps. And basically Rivers of Nil was my my soundtrack to doing that while the wind was howling outside. There's probably like rats nibbling at my toes because there's not even a room, it's just a shed. And so occasionally you come across that one album where you just it, it just gives you that whole vibe and you have it on all the time and it, it'll just bring you back to where you were and stuff like that at that time. So, I mean, I love, I love new music. When I find something cool, it's just one of the best things ever. I just never stop being excited about it.
0: Mm. Yeah. Now I'm with you, I, I tend to find that when the streaming era kicked in, so about 2009 or 10, thereabouts, okay. Certainly when when CD sales, you just couldn't buy CDs anymore, so around about that time, that's when I think music became very much a commodity and you just sort of had it on in the background and the new album from some of your favourite bands wasn't actually the essential thing to listen to. Remember when Morbid Angel released a new album? We all, all of us old fans stopped what we were doing and it's what we listened to for months and months, to your point.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. Um... God, man, domination was one of my favourite things ever. Mm. And then, although the last time I literally was very excited for the Four Morbid Angel album was when David Vincent came back and elude. Um, yeah, that, Ilude, that, Dominic, that didn't go yeah. That didn't go too well, did it? It had its
0: moments. Yeah, I'm I'm one of the very rare people at sea find quite a lot to like about aspects of the album, but it's yeah, very schizophrenic.
1: There's aspects about that, that are cool. There's like some really awesome riffs, and it's nice hearing David Vincent back. But on the other hand, there's like um, bits by going like, nah, this is nah, not for me at all. It's this kind of, in some ways, I think if you look back on the album, it's a brave album as an experiment. But it's one that didn't go well.
0: No, nah, it should be peeled away and. In- It's not really a morbid angel album in a lot of respects is it because it resembles nothing else in the catalog and it had been david had been in genie torturers for years and he'd been away and he turned into evil d he'd adopted that evil d persona with the samurai haircut and the the pvc and shit and it was what on earth is going on here these guys aren't the the god of emptiness anymore they're something else
1: Oh, but the, the, the magic of David, David, David Vincent never really went away for me. Because I remember me and Dave, we were in Florida and Dave, and I think he was there. And um, we used to sing backstage and literally we just handed him the guitar as can you teach us the intro riff to rapture? And he just looked at us and went, Come on, man, you're you're winding me up. You're you're literally taking the piss out of me it's such a simple riff why would you want that and me and Dave just literally went we just wanted to say that David Vincent taught us a morbid angel riff that's mm. what we want because that's so cool that's like one of our bucket list things and it literally shows how to play riff and so I was like oh this is awesome and after that I snorted um, Snooze because I didn't realise that the American version of Snooze is stuff you're supposed to chew and it's chewing uh. tobacco or glass in it and oh, I literally it was like the Austrian stuff, you know, the Austrian oh, stuff. No, it's like not a white, familiar,
0: powder.
1: yeah. So go, the yeah. Austrian stuff like a, little, like a little white powder, not not the not the uh Colombian kind, but mm. literally it's like a white powder that you put on your like that, and then it refreshes it up your nose and stuff like that. Mm, okay. So I thought it was that. So I remember literally just putting it on there while a horrified, absolutely horrified David Vincent looks at me like, what is this guy doing? And then sitting there and go, hmm and snorts this tobacco oh. with all these little bits of broken glass and that it just uses, I think it's glass or something that that cuts your um, lip when you normally chew it, straight up my nose as I sit there going, you know, I don't want to look like a dick in front of David Vincent. I'm just going to have to ride this one out while my my, my nose is absolutely oh, on fire. i yeah. like going, what are you doing that for? And I was just Started out, started it out. You just met David Vincent. He's like one of your childhood heroes. Started it out, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, no, I'm I'm with you. He's uh I've had a half an hour conversation with him and he was he was generous with his time. This was at a time when he, when he was doing the country music, so about six or seven years ago, and he just wasn't doing interviews, but somehow I managed to get a chat with him. And yeah, he was gracious. I've got to say, he certainly answered I, all
1: of my bloody questions. I, he's like well, it's like one of them. Nicest people I've ever met, man. And he's like, he's still got that aura. I found in Domination when I went to see Morbid Angel Life, like literally Morbid Angel with Immortal and Moonspell, if you can imagine that as a bill, was literally the first gig, like proper gig I went to, like Metal Gig. That's like a yeah. little, little, uh, little kid standing in front of all the people, corpse paint and all that kind of stuff. And my, my dyed red hair or purple hair at the time is looking like pro- probably looking like an absolute poser or whatever but <laughs> I remember seeing, seeing more of an angel and that literally I think domination was the height of their powers I mean I saw them after that with um, Tucker but for me the whole aura that David Vincent had on that stage and the whole mis- the mysteriousness of Trey Azaktoff, because literally as the one guy it's like one of these people I, I don't think I'll ever be able to talk to even though I absolutely adore his playing is because I just just, just, I just can't. It's like, if you if you sat in front of Dave Morrow and Adrian Smith and a couple of others, they're people I just could not talk to because I just mm. lose the ability to say words. But anyway, yeah, watching those guys on stage with like Eric Ruta and stuff like that, but especially David Vincent and Trey Hazardoff on stage at the time of Domination, it was just one of those things where you go like, shit, man. Mm. This is this is like, they had such an aura at that time. It was it was immense mm. yeah
0: so, eric does, he's
1: does really yeah, man, he's
0: really cool. yeah the, the whole band in my experience have been cool uh, eric does the introduction to my show as well he's a fantastic fella and i've even spoken to trey's mum because you, you don't you don't get interviews with trey that just doesn't happen so i've had a well, great conversation with her and she gave me so much insight
1: it's his fault i've like, gone typing as universes like seven strings It's Mm. entirely Trey's fault because I remember seeing The God of Emptiness video and then I was like going, that's the guitar. And then he was playing, he played on Domination, you know, the black one, the green pickups. That was the the guitar, the the guitar I had to have, and it was all because of that. So, you know, it's all his fault that um, I ended up with a lifelong um, addiction to the Mm. crippling addiction. (laughs) It's a crippling addiction. (laughs) It's, with, it's good in some ways, yeah, but you know, in other ways, it's kind of like hmm. I could have picked something, you know, I hmm. don't know, like Lego or something like that to be obsessed with because I think that's cheaper than a guitar guitar habit, or maybe even crack is probably cheaper as well, or meth.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so arguably better for your health too. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's totally unrelated. I, so I play bass predominantly, and um I remember as a kid Flea was Flea from Chili Peppers it was the Alpha and the Omega, and I never really liked their music, but I loved his playing. And because he's Australian as well, I thought, fuck, I'm gonna pay attention to what this guy does. So he um he plays music. I've never known that Flea was Australian. Yeah. And- yeah. born and bred in melbourne yeah well maybe not bred, but certainly first few years of his life i
1: had no idea
0: yeah he's his whole family's over here i think it's just his mother that that migrated to the united states and recoupled and remarried and he talks about it in his book i think i read part of his book but it's pretty rambling his book and uh he was uh he was forced to lose his australian accent go to elocution lessons and and stuff got imagine if you tried to make someone lose their accent these days but uh, yeah, that's the reason why he doesn't sound astray. But apparently, he's he's back here a fair bit, and he used to live. He used to live on the south coast of New South Wales as well. When I mean, they can live anybody, one yeah. That's yeah, it,
1: like I can see what you mean about the Chili Peppers. I'm just really not into them at all. But he's he is an amazing bass player,
0: great musician. Um, a bit scattered though. He's probably bipolar or something. I'm not accusing him of anything. But yeah, his his interviews are hard to listen to because he doesn't stick with. He couldn't do this. He couldn't do this and have a consistent and 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 uh, a, a conversation started at A and sort of went B C D with a few skips here and there. I don't think I've never really seen him be able to do that, and it could have just been all the drugs that he took through the eighties too.
1: I think said about a lot of people as the amount of drugs that they took have made them slightly different than, than they used to be, but uh, possibly I think it's also diminished responsibility being musician where you just <laughs> that's common that one <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think a lot of people say it's drugs but I think a lot, a lot of cases it's probably diminished responsibility because you just haven't had to really Um, I don't know face up you have you have you have a different life I think in some cases and it does make people slightly different and slightly weird
0: no I, I agree absolutely with that gosh we're agreeing on a lot here because I've, I've seen it in our local scene here and Brisbane and southeast Queensland, and uh, I I think I'm the only one that's married. I'm certainly the only one that's married with kids, and God knows how many musicians that I know. Uh, There, there are some others that you know, extended musician friends, this type of thing, but. I I, I took I took a lot of that stuff fairly seriously. I'm Catholic, you see, and uh, you know I I grew up going to mass, and you know it was sort of drummed into me to uh, lead a fairly pious life in that Ah, regard.
1: So, so does that mean you own the infamous cradle (laughs) T-shirt?
0: Well, I've, I've certainly spoken to Chris Chris Bell about it and Nigel about it, you know, the two guys who actually came up with it. And uh, I, I never owned it. It was one of those things. And I remember speaking to Chris about this, and I said, it just would, that was the one thing that was a bridge too far, funnily enough. I, the satanic themed and the stuff, it just it just seemed to, I love Deerside too, by the way. Huge fan, as I am, of the early cradle stuff. But the satanic stuff just seemed to bounce off me. It was never the
1: attraction. I remember I remember Side was a young, wasn't it? Glenn Benton, he burnt the cross into his head, Yeah. and then he's going to die at the same age of Jesus, and then he never really went through with that.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, he said a lot of pretty silly things, Glenn, but God bless him, he's
1: a great but then musician. Again, and... that, that is that is part of the theatre, isn't it? You've got you've got to realize that, that a lot of music and statements is theatre. I mean, I know there's some bands out there that are deadly serious. But at the end of the day, I think for, especially like in Cradle, you're there to entertain and stuff like that. So you go on stage, you pretend to be a you know, some weird Gothic bat for about one and a half hours. You throw all the shapes, yeah. you pull all the faces, you, 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 you do all the schlock and stuff like that. And then you come off and then in some cases you just have a nice cup of tea. So it's like anyone that thinks that you sacrifice things backstage has got completely warped view of things because one you never get it on the rider even if you ask for it and secondly it's quite messy and stuff like that and thirdly at that point you just really just want to have a bite to eat and a cup of tea yeah
0: yeah it was very common back in the 90s to be accused of being a devil worshiper if you're wearing even a metallica t-shirt or an iron maiden t-shirt especially in the suburbs of sydney
1: or what have you was devil's got the best tunes you know Absolutely!
0: Oh God, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no question about that. Yeah, but uh, these this day and age, mate. It's I, I explain to people because I do all these interviews, and the, whether it's doesn't no matter who it is, you know, Sata from Satyricon or what have you. I mean, these guys are business people, for God's sake. They drive Porsches and stuff. These people are hardly the you know the bat soup drinking psychopaths that a lot of the mainstream would would have it be made out. And I I, I haven't heard anybody whenever I. You know, kids, parents, so and
1: it, stuff. Like that. A lot of it is just theatre. I mean, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, and music is entertainment and stuff like that. And if as soon as you start start taking it too seriously, as in like you start believing too much that you are, I, I don't know, you're the second coming of I don't know, Cthulhu or whatever, um, you end up a kind of in um, oh, what's that guy who used to play in Deep Purple and Rainbow? Richie Blackmore, Blackmore, yeah. You end up in Richie Blackmore's territory, where suddenly you actually believe you're an elf. Mm. Uh, then then kind of He's an odd far. guy.
0: Yeah, he's genuinely odd. Apparently, Richie, <laughs> like he's, he's it's not an act with him. Apparently, he is I mean, he's psychic or something.
1: Yeah. Actually, I, I I had an obsession with elves for years and stuff like that. So I thought maybe I'd like his music, but I just don't. <laughs> It, the elf stuff is definitely like a bridge too far and stuff like that. It's just just too weird and just definitely has disappeared into a place where you know I don't really think anyone wants to follow.
0: Mm, yeah, just just with with Cradle again. Who was managing the band when you were in the group? Um,
1: that was Faye Wolven. all the okay. way through. Both. Yeah. What was your take on her? Absolutely fine. I mean she had a lot to put up with. <laughs> how do you
0: imagine?
1: So, so come on. It's just like if if I think about it, it's like oh, even the tour managers and everything else, they just had a lot to put up with. I just I don't know how people some people kept their sanity with some of the shit. I mean, you probably had all the old men. I think the old men was worse than what I experienced, that there was even more just all over the place and stuff like that. But even when I was in the band, it was it was definitely there were there were moments where I go like, man, why why would you want to manage this band or tour manage this band because it's basically just like uh, looking after a bunch of retards.
0: Well, <laughs> but uh, I mean, the, the the music, Faye Faye had. There's a perception, rightly or wrongly, okay, I'm only mentioning the perception, okay, that when she took over the management of the band that it became Danny and the Filths. Can you relate to any of that?
1: Um, I don't think that that is so much of a management thing as I think a kind of longer-term evolution. So I think as... People left Cradle, I think, has become more and more Danny's band, as it were. So I don't think that's like a. I think some people might say, oh, it's a push for management to do that, but I really don't think that at all. Because any manager worth their salt does know that, you know, a band has to have like this whole band dynamic going on and stuff like that. Um, I'd probably say, that's an evolution that's happened, I would say, over time. And it probably started, I think, in the early 2000s, a little bit there. But as to like blaming one person for the shift, I don't think you can really fairly do that. I think, uh, I think possibly you get people who have like a focal point for, um, stuff they're unhappy about that happened and it's easy to have a focal point rather than looking at like the whole picture of of, of everything together it's probably the most diplomatic answer you'll probably hear, hear, hear about that but no I don't think I can lay the blame at anyone's door if you're gonna try and ask for who's at fault, fault for what I just think this is something that just would have happened over time you're good mates with Paul
0: as you are with Sarah but I'll focus on Paul I certainly know the reasons around his departure, but he asked me not to share them. So I'll preface my question around that. So can you understand his perspective on things these days?
1: Um, Paul, yeah, I probably can. I mean, I've always... I think 90% of the time in the band, I've always got on with Paul and stuff like that. And I've also seen... um, there's also been times in the band where people just didn't get along. But if, if I kind of look at it, that, but looking back, it's always really silly, stupid shit. But with Paul, I always just, I don't know, he's the one guitarist that always played Rhythm Cradle. Mm. And even even if I look now, I can blame him for some of the little Paulisms I have in, in stuff I write, because, you know, <laughs> you're not going to, I'm not going to. Not going to lie, it's like I played a lot of Cradle tunes, so that's always kind of going to be there along with all the other stuff. And just like I learned a lot of different guitar tricks from Paul, like I learned compositional tricks from Martin, like a like I learned all this from all these people in a short period of time. And in terms of Paul, yeah, I always think he's he's had like he's one of these people that's got one of the biggest work ethics I know. And stuff like that, and it's all it was, it was always kind of fun writing with him, with him, and was kind of fun playing and stuff like that. So um, I've forgotten the question because I've just gone oh. off on his total tangent. So you probably it nice. An- Answer the yeah. question
0: how you want. That's no dramas. No, the the, the question was though was uh, he's told me he's he's given me his explanation behind his exit, but he asked me not to publish it. Okay, so of course I haven't done that, but. You were you were his co-conspirator you were the other guitarist in the band uh for a significant period of time so it, it i i wasn't paying attention much to the band outside of it might have been reported on blabbermouth in 2012 or 13 or whatever it was and paula lenders left the band and i thought that was very odd i was thinking well the band really can't continue now because he's he writes the music we know danny doesn't write the music He contributes ideas lyrics the, the image, all of that, but the music is you guys. So when he left, I figured, well, that that's it, really. The 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 soul of the band, if you like, will will go with him. But it just kept on powering on. But I, I guess that's that's just a statement before I make my before the question, which is, uh, given your mates with him and and what you feel you can share, can you understand his perspective on things these days?
1: Yeah, I think I think I can. This is like nothing. Is unreasonable. Nothing is like some kind of, of weird thing. So, yeah, I can I can understand why he he had had enough. I mean, it's like I guess he's kind of like, um, I mean, he did leave once before, like you know, mm. just after they called it dusk, and then came back. So, I mean, I did the same thing. So, I think it's just there are, there are times when you're just not happy with where you are in life and what you're doing, and at that point, you need to make a change. And if it's like kind of like affecting you, then you just there's there's no point in going on stuff like that. But I've never really asked him his his reasons because I really don't like prying too much because mm. you know there are reasons for stuff, and I'd rather just you know chat with people about the stuff I, I'd usually chat with and go digging and then nosing nosing around and stuff like that because it's quite frankly, it's just useless information in my head after a point, so I don't really see the point in the... Um, yeah, you're, his deep mate, deep.
0: you're not a journalist, I get it. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're his friend first and know, foremost, I so know, that's right. important.
1: Yeah. Talk, talk to me about stuff, I'll listen, but then I'll probably forget it because, um, yeah, there's not that much space up here because I'm blonde. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, you've been articulate, mate. So you're surprised.
0: So, so you you fooled me on that point. But uh, what, what about Sarah? I, from from memory, she's mates. She's still good mates with you and James Piper's. With uh, sorry, P- 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 Dave Piper. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I mean, look. The thing you have to kind of realise is that um, I think a lot of people would probably dress up the whole member changes in cradle and this and that as there's like some kind of massive dramas going on and stuff like that but the the fact is i mean i just you all just got along and stuff like that it's like you weren't it wasn't like everyone hated each other i mean i've seen bands that hate each other and i've seen bands that just all turn up on a separate bus for each member which is you know just ludicrous and they just do it for the money and stuff like that and i've always got on with everyone and occasionally you'll have your spats, and occasionally you have a disagreements, occasionally you might not like someone like that, but then you're stuck on a bus for 10 weeks. It's always gonna happen. I mean, go out with your best friends for 10 weeks on a bus, and every single horrible habit they will have will make you want to go get a knife and stab them. Oh yeah. So and this and these 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 and generally in the band, they aren't always your best mates, they're just people that you know and you learn to know and stuff like that. So I mean. I haven't got, I'm not going to sit, 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 sit and go, I, I, Dan was always fun. I always, you know, when he, when he was hanging out with him and stuff like that, he was fun. I mean, there's, there's issues with everyone, but I can't literally say that i that I just go like, you know, I never want to talk to this guy again. I never want to talk to that person again. That's just only happened very rarely. And Yeah. It's like I think one person I never ever want to see again in my life, but there you go. And that, but that's, that's it. But everyone, else, yeah. but everyone else, absolutely fine. So yeah, I. It's it's one of those weird things. I mean, occasionally I, I'll I'll just uh, hit up Dave and stuff like that. I mean, we we did we did in the end of, in the pandemic, like when everyone else was doing shoes and stuff like that. I think we dug up something we'd written a while ago and made a demo of it, and then. it it sounded pretty cool and then never went anywhere partially because I think I moved everyone's in a pandemic and nothing really can get done and working with people across different time zones is very very hard but it's kind of cool it was like with um, you know Cam from Massacre doing vocals on on a track that me and Dave had done with uh, a guy I knew who I'd played with in a band called Matron on Keys and then Mm. I think the guy that played drums in Sarah's band Doing drums on it. And it was like the one track and it sounded really cool. And then I'm supposed to write more and it kind of fell apart. So, you know. Yeah, Cam told me
0: about that. I know what you're talking about there. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really It was It
1: was a shame it kind of disintegrated because yeah. it was kind of fun, fun doing that again. Mm. So it's back but in back in that headspace. Yeah.
0: But but Sarah's talked about some some. She she's not a fan of some of the members of the band. I think you know what I'm saying, given you're a mate. But uh, she likes yeah. she likes you, so she likes you and she likes Dave. So I mean, that's why I'm so keen to talk to her. And and there's another reason I'm I'm really keen to talk to her, which is just try to understand her status within the band because she's in all of the old videos, meaning the live videos. You can see her there on stage. She, but she was never in the band. Photos, and she was sort of credited as you know female oh. vocal or operatic vocal, or whatever. Sarah Jezebel Diva there, but it felt like she was a part of the band, but not at the same time. Can you relate to that?
1: Um, yeah, I can, I can a little bit because you know when they did the whole, uh, what was it, Manticore tour and stuff like that. I mean, I was still playing guitar for them. But I hadn't really done writing for the album and stuff like that. So they just had three people on it. And I don't, I don't know what it was. I think it was it was something to do with timing and I was working again and a couple of other things. So at that point, it's like, come on, the album pictures and stuff like that, but I'm still touring the band. And then mm. it's like one of those weird things. I think. I always thought that personally for me that she was you know part of the band because it's like oh, I can't remember I think she's 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 on cruelty isn't she because I can't remember
0: yeah yeah she definitely but, is yeah
1: and you know, all the other all the other CDs and stuff like that to ask you stop stop doing it. So I mean that is to me, Personally, that's being part of the band and whatever decisions were made why she's not in pitch and stuff like that, I don't know. But I do think that's a shame. Because I think that that she should have been included in all those things because of the contribution and stuff like that. Because I think for a lot of fans, she is part of that sound. And, you know, it's got to be an English voice doing cradle overdubs. It just doesn't work otherwise. Yeah, it was a very significant part of that
0: funeral in Carpathia, or what's the song before funeral in Carpathia? Sorry, it's gothic romance, whatever it might be. People are probably yelling at me now saying, It's this song, you should know it. You've yeah, interviewed the man, i like, do you
1: not know these yeah. things. You the aren't band. a fan anymore.
0: Yeah. You've got you, up, you know. Yeah,
1: well, <laughs> you now I've got memory anymore. So, um, <laughs> do, 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 do. hear me now. That's that yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's what's you know. It's it's my my young adulthood. That stuff. That's it's all wrapped up around it. Yeah. But what what do you think? What around your greatest challenge in the band was there a challenge that you felt was notable whilst you're in the group?
1: Um, I always found the challenge was, um. Kind of the writing aspect, that's the most challenging thing because you can't, I to, to touched on this earlier, so that you can't write what you want. Is that you can't just go, you know, I'm going to come up with a bunch of riffs. I think when I, when I first started writing an amphetamine, I probably had that like a whole bunch of riffs and I remember, <laughs> probably listening to them and go like, Jesus Christ, what's going on this this guy's head? And stuff like that. But you, you kind of quickly learn, it's like there is kind of a formula to cradle it's like I could, I could probably I could probably spill the spill the beans right now and it's it's quite quite easy. It's like you know, for every single riff, you have know you have different varying tail ends at the end, you have your harmonies and stuff like that you throw in. Um you try to make the structure as well. I love the old cradle stuff because the structure's all over the place. They're so hard to learn in the beginning. But once you get used to it, you kind of could get through it. But mm. some of those structures are just they don't make any sense. They really don't make any sense. So you get through for a whole song and it's like a random four bars of a riff that normally yeah. any other band would remove. I think that's in Funeral pay for, actually. It's like one little riff and you got like, what the f- is that? And I think another challenge was actually, weirdly, learning songs of cruelty. Because at that point, no one in the band had played on that album. Yes. So who do you turn to? You literally do the same thing every kid in their bedroom does, and that's put the CD on and sit there for hours playing stuff. I mean, you've possibly got a head start because you know how generally cradle riffs are written. So there's a lot of open string with um, a pedal tone with moving notes across that diaz. There's a lot of that going on. I mean, if you look at the tabs online and if you see any Cradle riff like Infernal Carpe, it's only got one string on it. It's wrong. Totally wrong. So one of the things like that, it's like you do have like a bit of a head start kind of knowing how they'd play because you have played, played the other stuff. And um, Gian would, would have showed Paul how to play the riffs of Cruelty. So you still had that as like a resource of this is how you play them. And I'll tell you what, if you ever tried to learn stuff off internet tabs, I could tell you 60% of the stuff was wrong at the time, even even yeah. up to 80%. It was just completely batshit wrong. Because when I auditioned, that's the only thing I had, was like, you know, ultimate guitar tabs, where it's like little text someone's put up there going, well, you know, I've got a week to learn fight, because that was mental, actually. So I'm going to do trip down memory lane here, if you don't mind. It's like when, oh. I, first, when I first auditioned, it was literally... Um, and this is the thing. I never thought I'd get this gig. I just literally thought, you know, I'm a little country bumpkin from Belgium. That's where I grew up. It? It's pretty small and stuff like that. I mean, living in London, stuff like that. But, and I've heard of all these bands. And um, I think Adrian's gone, like, why don't you audition for bass before that? And I've gone like, nah, I'm not, not a bassist. And uh, they got Dave. And so I think when they were, Gian left, he went, you know, why don't you audition for guitar? And so I thought, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And just in the back of my head, I went, you know, it'd be really cool to sit in the pub afterwards and go and go audition for these guys. I got to play with them. That was really cool. But you know, they got someone, um, someone else, you know, that deserved to be in the band or something like that. Because I never really think like I deserved to be when I was auditioning. So that must sound weird to some people. Because some people are probably going to go like, Yeah, man, I spent my whole life preparing for this. I can bite the head head of five bats in a minute. It's my I've destiny. trained. My destiny, something like that. And I I never thought that. So it's like, you know, here here you go. Learn these, I think, five songs, and we'll see you uh, in a week. So I literally do my job, come home, go to the Chinese, eat some egg fried rice, and then spend five hours playing or six hours until basically my hands dropped off learning all this stuff. I go to the audition, play, and I have to go, like, that was cool. That was fun and then two days later they call me up and go you know um, next week come back here's another five to learn be uh, go like wait what is this weirdness that's happening it's like surely they found someone else that you know is whatever so I thought okay I'll, well do some more and then it happened again all right, in two weeks learn another four songs five songs and this was like before you had guitar pro or YouTube videos people showing you playthroughs all that shit so you had to basically sit there and go Figure it out by ear, use some guitar tabs, and get found by someone who's done it because you haven't got the time to do all of this, you, this yourself. And basically, kind of go, Well, that's wrong. That's right. I can kind of muddle my, muddle my way through it. And even then, you turn a rehearsal, go, actually, no, you play it like this and stuff like that. And I kind of learned. So I went through all of that. And I think after the third rehearsal, my literally my arms died. So after the third, third audition, and I'm going like, oh, shit, man. If they ask me back a fourth time, I am screwed because I can't literally. I was like like this. work up and your hands wouldn't even move. And the doctor just told me, you've got toxic shock. And I was like, what the What? Oh, yeah, because basically, you know, I'd been playing five, six hours a day. And I was typing for the other eight. Mm. So basically, I completely annihilated both my arms. And eventually, they were just, oh how do you feel about doing these gigs in December? And I was like, what? This is fucking weird. So, And then the whole gigs in different, my arm started working again magically. about a week later. So I kind of was cool with that because I enough learning this stuff. I had a little bit of a break. And then, um, then those gigs in December got canceled. I thought, oh, well, no, they'll definitely find someone else now. And that was it. I didn't hear from them for ages until, like, I think the January when they go, "Oh, it's a European tour, are you coming?" And that's kind of how it started. But all the way through, all the way through the whole thing, I never thought I'd get it. It was like it was going to be a cool story I could tell people, like I once auditioned for Craig of Filth. Like, so like, well, That oh, happened in did my you... life, and then from there, it was. Just, it was... Did
0: you get the impression that you're the sort of bloke that is easy to have a pint with and have a bit of a laugh with? And that was a bit of a a significant reason why you joined the band. You can, I, I, what I imagine is good guitar players, it's not that they're a dime a dozen, but I've heard David Gilmore talk about bass players and why Guy Pratt got the gig in Pink Floyd. And they said it was because he's a good bloke to hang around with, basically. You can get Pino Palladino or any of these magnificent bass players in, but we felt, the band felt that they could sit around after a gig and have a cigar and and a pint with uh, Guy Pratt. Did you feel that there was a bit of that going on with you as well?
1: I have no idea if I'm completely honest, I have absolutely. So I'm no getting that
0: impression. To... That's all. I'm getting that impression that you're an easy guy to be around, and that you enjoy <laughs> having a laugh, and you're knowledgeable, and you can. To your point about the ten weeks straight on a bus, they might have yeah. seen. Yeah, they could. They could deal with you in like that, that situation.
1: I don't know. And also, when I was younger, I probably looked a bit better than I do now. You know, less lines and shit like that. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't. We all don't worry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so no no I, I, I don't know I mean I never really asked what what the the kind of reasons were because I mean even on the Euro- European tour at first I thought you know at the end of it it's like you know why well, am I going to keep on doing this I have no idea until they asked me to do you know another tour and go on fest and stuff like that and then it was only kind of I think after the fest and after like you know on the third tour that I kind of sort, sort of start to think oh well yeah I kind of um, maybe a little little new table in the, in the living room kind of thing that I've uh, kind of done that and that makes you take a couple of things so yeah it's I've never asked what the decision process was because I don't really want to know because that's kind of I think possibly a bit um, self-serving if you want to know exactly why and stuff like that I, I just thought it was the uh, quite a good ride but you know what, you're on this ride just go for it and see what happens and stuff like that don't have really any expectations like I think if you go into anything with like this expectation that you're going to be the second coming of God you're going to be sorely disappointed mm-hmm. but if you go into something with, the ex- with um, no expectations and go oh, I'm going to see where this goes and you know at the end of it I'll have some cool stories That I think you're pretty much set for it Oh, yeah i've completely gone gone around the bushes again from these from the question haven't i no, and I've awesome.
0: not <laughs> no not at all no 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 it's the way the way you want to talk about things in cradle of filth you know there's a there's this will be really interesting as i said up top because i haven't spoken to somebody who joined the band post 2000 you're the very first and and i'm hoping it opens up some other doors actually because they're virtually two different bands from when Stuart was in the band to when you joined, and what was going on there, because that's when the revolving—I mean, it was always there. I get that, but uh, it just feels like as though the revolving door accelerated after after um, after that. So you you're giving a lot of context to some perceptions that are out there that the band is Danny and the Filth but talking to you, it doesn't feel like that at all. It just feels like the dynamic is what it is, and people join and people leave.
1: Um, at least when. I was kind of doing it, it it, it did, it, it, it is like that and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think I would have been, Um, I mean, the second time when I went back, literally I just went back going, you know what, well, I'm not going to rely on this financially. Mm. I'm just going to be, um, as I say, the, the geek will inherit the earth, like, you know, I'm <laughs> a proper, basically, under all of this, I'm a proper nerd, and um, so I was like, going, you know what, when I, when I went back the second time, I'm going, like, I'm not... Gonna rely on any of this, I'm just gonna go back to have fun and have a good time and you know, do some cool shit. So I always for me, it was always about being a, a band and um feeling like it was you against kind of everyone else a little bit and having that camaraderie. And for me, so when that kind of camaraderie disappears, then I'm I'm not really interested. So maybe I've got a different take on it than everyone else. Because I don't know, maybe it's how I'm built, I'm not quite sure. Mm. But that's always been my kind of take on it. It's like, you know, no one's gonna get rich off music or make a living and, and stuff like that. I mean, I'm, I'm even surprised I get get to get the occasional royalties from now and again, which buys me, I don't know, a guitar pedal here and there or something like that. Mm. But it's not like um, I mean, as you can see, there's no. There's no one walking around with plates of cocaine in this room, so you know, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, they just left. They just left, did they? <laughs> I didn't. Mean, it's left. Yeah, that's why I'm talking so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that, that's great. So, so if Dan, if Dan, you bumped into Dan down at your local, you'd gladly have a couple of rounds with him.
1: Yes, I would. I mean, I almost did a grass pop this year. They were playing there, and you know, I just oh, i was talking to the sound guy, and I hadn't realised he was cradle Sound guy. And I said, "Oh, I want to come meet, meet, meet them," and I. I think things conspired against it because, you know, you know what, what, what festivals are like. You get everyone on the guest list apart from the people that you actually might want to see. Yeah. Because everyone's there. It's like, I don't know, be seen, try and talk, try and, I don't know, stick their, stick their nose up everyone else's ass. Get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm not interested in that. And I was, I got to the stage where I'm going, you know what? This is too much bullshit to deal with on the day that I'm here on the morning that I'm here that's not planned I I, I'd already set in my set in my head that I wanted to go see every single band that day which I managed to do just to see if I could find some new stuff hear some new stuff see some awesome stuff unexpectedly gain appreciation for bands I thought I would hate you know that kind of stuff and then Mm -hmm.
0: Do you do that thing where um you go to see one of your bands that you're actually mates with people in the bands with, but you think I'm not gonna be a punisher and do the before show, try to catch up with them and even the after show thinkers of the amount of punishers that hang around. Do you do that thing where you text them afterwards and say, Hey mate, great show? And then they say, What the fuck? Why didn't you tell me you were here?
1: Yeah, that that's that's kind of happened. And or oh, I've just 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 not saying anything going on. I was really fucking cool and stuff like that. You know, now, I've played these festivals. I know exactly what it's like. You get you get there, you've got tons of shit to do. It's a festival. So you're basically at the complete mercy of whatever monitor makes you get thrown on stage on. People think festivals are fun. They're, they're, they're way more stressful than gigs because you have no idea what stage sounds going to be like until you go on. And then you play and you come off and stuff like that. And... still tons of fun and shit like that so and you know that there's there's always going to be some vague amounts of chaos backstage where things are not going to plan you are having to find people if they're they're massive things they go you know what i just went to and says i'll go say hi and you know if it had worked out yeah sure i'd have it would be cool to sit down and just have, have, have just a normal chat about stuff and stuff like that but you know if they Come through Belgium at some point. Then maybe I'll do that and go see them when it's you know less of a clusterfuck to do anything like that. Because I think you now in general life, I just try not to harbor any hard feelings or resentments about anything. Because I think life's too short, and besides, you know, it's my life. It's like no one has control over me apart from myself, and if I start blaming shit in my life on someone else. It's like, nah, it's like, this is just two parties for everything. I and mean, not that I'm talking about a band. this is just a general life philosophy and Trump, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, no, I think if, in was like, I don't know if it happens, that'd be really cool because you know, I've seen him since um, I went to a gig that they did on the tour where they had, I think, Richard and uh, Marek. Marek. <laughs> I'm shit with names, totally shit with names. I don't remember when I, I just went and, went and saw them there and stuff like that. And it's not really seen anyone since then because I just disappeared and went did my own thing for quite a quite a while. But yeah, I think it would call cool the catch up and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. one of those things where I like go, you know, I'm I wouldn't you can't say no to anything in life, can you? You can't just sit there and go, you oh, know, I'm not gonna do this or that ever again. I mean the only time you really should just like go, I'm never gonna have any dealings with someone again is when they completely and utterly screwed you over in such a way that there's no saying sorry, but that hasn't happened. So you know what? I look back on my time in Cradle quite fondly and go, like, oh, it was it was a it was good fun. I mean, I ain't gonna it's complain just about anything.
0: Oh, I'll just yeah, if you
1: call it an episode, it does make yes. it sound like so, something went really wrong. It was just, it was just an episode in his life. I mean, he's okay now, to... <laughs> yeah, you're, you're part of a you're you're part
0: of the recovering cradle alumni. There you go. You know, you guys go, go to uh, <laughs> okay, not yeah. AA but uh, cradle anonymous meetings or whatever. Uh, Zoom sessions. <laughs>
1: How <many> Zoom <laughs> meetings? Do, do I get tokens for like having not played a cradle song for like 100 days or something like that
0: definitely why not yeah yeah definitely and uh but, it, but its there there are a lot of ex-members and and I find everybody's got a different story to tell sorry the sun's coming up so it's hitting me in the face um everybody's got a very different story to tell and that's life that's life, isn't it? It was just Cradle are a unique band in that they were the band that for a very small period of time took over the heavy metal world after the late 90s, so with Cruelty came out, and I think so many of us just thought it was just the second coming of Iron Maiden there for a bit, and it didn't quite happen, and the band just went on to become another metal band that plays on the festival circuits and certainly comes here and plays in the clubs and in Australia. But uh, it's kept on keeping on. So I've got to give Dan that. He's been resilient and uh, persistent, if nothing else.
1: No, definitely. I mean, it, I think it takes it takes a lot of effort to keep keep a band going for so long mm. and do yeah, the same yeah. thing for so long. I, mean, I know I've got a boredom and threshold, so. Yeah. Sometimes no, I, I can do the same thing over and over again before I go, like okay, I'm bored of this now. So it takes a lot of dedication, but you know, when that's the natural life, then you put that dedication into it. I mean, Paul was like that as well, like extremely dedicated to the whole thing. And you just put that effort in. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've, I've really encouraged Paul to, to share his story because he certainly has one, and he's still active. He's got the unnamed Torres with no where nobody's going, yeah.
1: going on. there. I'm, I'm yeah. interested to see what he's got. I mean, he's he's finally got himself like um guitars with more than six strings. So he's, he's uh, yeah. I might, might hopefully hopefully I don't. It's probably nothing to do with me, man. I've always liked seven strings and stuff like that. But it's nice to see him kind of like have that so he can. Have something different, I think. He said he was enjoying it and stuff like that. So that's that's kind of cool. And it's nice to see him doing stuff again as well. Have you heard it? Have you heard the stuff? Uh oh, I've heard the odd riff and stuff like that there. But then again, I know Paul's guitar playing that well that I can listen to it and I can just just hear as Paul. So I kind of know what it's going to be like. This is not a bad thing. It's not saying it's predictable or anything like that, but you know, when you've played for, for that long with someone, you it's just a signature know. style. Yeah. But a signature yeah. style, that's just his, and he's not afraid to be himself. So he's never going to be anyone else than Paul Allender. And that's not what that's one of the things I think you know you should appreciate when you listen to the albums that he did. It's Paul Allender. That's how he sounds like. That's how he writes, and he's mm. never going to change for anyone.
0: Mm. Which is it's cool. great stuff. It's it's sound. It's sounding magnificent. I'd I'd love yeah. to hear the finished product when, whenever whenever he gets around. As you know, he's driving trucks around the Midwest of the USA these days. It's because that's a predictable career move, right? Guitar and cradle yeah, in the UK yeah, exactly. to yeah, driving yeah. trucks in the Midwest.
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, for me, I think my I guess becoming like you know professional nerd is possibly something that most people can kind of relate to because <laughs> I think it is the, probably the one one of the one careers where basically the more you look like a weird hippie tramp, mm-hmm. the more people think you have an aura about you and that you know stuff. You have so knowledge I must have teen. Exactly. Yeah. I mean if 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 you if you're gonna run around looking like a wizard, then you must be a wizard. I <laughs> suppose to I think most 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 jobs will go if you're going around looking like a wizard, you're obviously fucking insane. And we don't yep. want you to work for us anymore. Not an IT. So, yeah. <laughs> They're not an IT. No. So you basically, you just look like you just look like some, some. the weirder you look, I think. And, you know, just the more opinionated you are and the more people listen to you, it's absolutely bizarre.
0: Yeah. I worked in IT for a bit too, and I just, it was I certainly wasn't for me. And it was mainly just having the patience to deal with people who weren't really sure about the programs and being, I wasn't an IT help desk, but I was an account executive. So you do it all you do that there's not anything you don't
1: know when 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 you're one of the basement nerds basically they occasionally come and talk to you they feed you a little piece of paper for a slot gum you kind of want this (laughs) please don't talk to me tell me when it's done but please don't talk to me or have a conversation you're too weird too weird stay in the basement code code little monkey code and then we'll we'll, we'll throw you some peanuts at the end of the end of the month that sounds cool, man. That sounds—it's like the IT crowd is pretty accurate as a representation of life.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, do you, do you get to work from home, or do you have to work in, a, in an oh, office? Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: So, so I've—I've I've, I've not actually—I've seen an office twice in the past almost four years. Yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it does get a bit weird and stuff like that, but you know, it doesn't mean that I've. Um, you yeah, have a nice little space I have my guitars and stuff I don't I get too bored I can go off and do something creative and if I don't want my dreams it's a space to be able to work and pick up a guitar whenever I wanted to so now I can do that and it's nice like that so you know it helps and also I don't, didn't have to speak to people before I don't really have to speak to people now as long as I get my shit done so yeah, yeah. it's like that isn't it which is good because it means I can get music done which is actually fun yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Actually, that's the thing that's the thing is I can't wait for people to hear it I mean just to see what they think and stuff like that it's right. the um, one one of those things where you go like you know, I wonder if people will like it I'm not sure because it's, it's this is the thing that no one tells you as a musician that by the time you've bought out an album and everyone else listens to it you have no idea if it's good anymore you have absolutely zero idea it's kind of like Stockholm syndromed yourself with your own music. So true. Yeah. Like you don't know if you love it or you hate it. You don't know if it's good or it's bad. The only thing you know is that you've heard it about 10,000 times. So you have zero clue. And every, every time we get to get to that point where you are just going to bring something out you get in that position, go like, is anyone actually going to like this? Because I don't even know anymore. It's like kind of, it's lost all meaning to me. I mean, I remember when I wrote it, I was really thinking, oh, this is really cool, but is it still cool? Is it still good? I have no idea whatsoever. And I think every musician at that point starts shitting bricks as soon as they bring something out because they just have zero clue about how anyone's going to react to it. No idea. Mm. So I find myself in that situation again now, going like, I have zero clue what everyone's going to think about this. So it'd be nice if they liked it.
0: Is it close to coming out for a release?
1: Like, if you um, got a release idea of a release date? Uh, Well, I am, I'm aiming for drum tracking in end of October, beginning of November, around then. So probably everything is going to be beginning of November, after which, you know, you go for all the things. You get all the guitars done. I get all the keys done, bass, track, and vocals. I'm kind of hoping to have everything kind of wrapped up by january which probably means because shit always goes wrong that'll probably be february and mixed and after that it's kind of case of you know finding someone who's interested in bringing it out because as i said i'm just so rubbish at self-promotion i don't even know where to look this is like one of those things where i wish realize that i am just not the person that should be managing me because i have i have i I like playing music i like playing guitar get really excited about it it's like watching a hamster on crack when things go right Mm -hmm. you just get really fired up and stuff like that because there goes like oh this is amazing this is so cool and you always go running around going like oh this is making my metal dreams come true and that's the main classification you have for music does it make my metal dreams come true if it does if it makes me excited then it's good and so I think after that I'll be mixing and then find someone who's um, I was going to say brave enough to put it out but that's (laughs) not really selling myself is it it's like find someone who'd like to put it out and yeah. actually, you know, just just bring it out into the world and stuff like that. That would be cool, and, and you know, hopefully people will like it. That'd be nice. Yeah, it'd be lovely. Oh, there's all the old cradle fans, mate. All
0: certainly the 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 fans who loved your work and the in the band mate will certainly be interested. and They'll find it. That's what you find happens. You don't need yeah, to do that, too that'd much.
1: Be nice. Yeah. I mean, anyone listening to here? I think they've, I've got one track which I put out on, on YouTube because that was actually a decent live recording from Gig and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And it gives like one facet of what it sounds like. Um, I think anyone expecting it to sound like Cradle will be sort of disappointed. Yeah. It probably has Cradleisms in there and I think people have told me it does because I'm not going to get away from that. That's kind of inherently in some of yeah. the things I play. To your point I'm about working with I Paul about. too, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and the kind of things that you learned and the things like I picked up those uh, cool cradleisms that I find I don't use occasionally here and there and stuff like that because I really like them. Like little tricks and little things that are thought were awesome and stylistic, like cues and stuff like that. But it's not going to sound like it. It's just going to be whatever because I've just gone for uh, more synthy stuff, some bit of black metal, a bit of fresh, probably a bit of power metal in there. There's probably. I don't know, I think I've ripped off Massive Attack, which, you, which um, someone could try and find where I've done that.
0: Okay, and, I'm going to listen out for that one. I love Massive <laughs> Attack, yeah.
1: But yeah, just have, just having all these different things, and I've just basically, just basically just try to make it as varied, as varied as I possibly can and as interesting as I possibly can, and to the point where I go, is this something I'd like to listen to? Which, brings me back to the point, it's like I don't know anymore because I've heard it so many times that I've absolutely no idea. But I'm kind of excited about this still, and um, I really want to get it out there like as soon as possible, but I know these things take time and it's frustrating, especially if you haven't got like, you know, a budget behind you and you're having to kind of just DIY this stuff, but you know, you do it because you love it, hmm. not because of anything else. And I am I want to put this out because I love it and I think hopefully other people would enjoy it I'm as well. people
0: will too, Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: I can't wait to hear it. I have has got a band name because, you know, when you ask me to it's like going, oh, shit, man. The guy wants to talk to me. I haven't even got a band name. And I think we sat down for like weeks after that. It's like going through short lists of names and just coming up with all these things. It's the hardest thing in the world. I'm surprised that we settled on Summon the Wolves. It was actually... Fairly painless once we got there, but it did take a good two or three weeks of people going, Oh, no, I don't like that. Oh, that sounds rubbish. Oh, no, if you, if you call band out, I'm leaving stuff like that. Oh, and really? Oh, god, yeah. The you, but but you always consequential. Band, name, band names are the worst. I don't understand how they become so hard. I mean, I guess if you like, you know, if I was. Because I always find like you know South American band band names are well some of the best like you get Ghost Goat Priest Molester and stuff like that and it's like (laughs) those guys those guys don't give a fuck man they they just want (laughs) to play like gnarly fucking death metal and go like yeah that word that word that word fucking dumb that's how I kind of imagine it goes with with them and they come up with these like band names like okay yeah you know if I see three of those. Unrelated words together. I know it's going to be pretty fucking awesome, mm-hmm. and it's like worth listening to it and stuff like that. If it's been if it's been fought through too much, yeah, I'm not that interested because obviously, you know, they're they already t- already far too commercial because they've got a demo out. Yeah, you I know, remember like they had that old black metal stuff, and people go like, "Oh no, I, I like their first demo," but as soon as they got signed out oh, they went to shit. They sold out. Yeah. And you go, how the fuck did they sell out? this album the first album still sounds like it's been recorded on a my first Sony and it's basically mixed by someone that is tone deaf it's like the reason I oh, I do have a love of like badly produced albums not badly produced because I think a lot of bands started like I think especially like early 2000s early 2010s they started going like oh we need to recreate that early black metal sound so they do it on purpose, yeah, and it never sounds right because the thing that they completely failed to see is that all those early bands—they didn't do it on purpose. They just didn't have any money. No, exactly. Yeah, they basically had the shittest equipment available, and they tried to do their best with it, and that's why it sounds good. Like you get like, catatonian's Brave Murder Day is like a massively flawed album production-wise. It's like, it's it's, but it's got an atmosphere. Another one, of my favorite is Arch Enemy Stigmata, because that one, it's got such a weird atmosphere in the production. It makes it a great album. And I think once they started having better better production, this just wasn't the same for me, because it missed that weird atmosphere that other one has. It's almost haunting. And the same with like, um, if you ever heard of a band called Die Com Masquerade? I've heard of them, but yeah, continue. You're oh, on Yeah. So Nightwork is is it's basically is the uh is Blackheim from from catatonia It's this black metal thing. And you know, Nightwork is an amazing album. It's got this this atmosphere that has just die for. But if you play to someone now to go like, what is this underproduced shit? Man, I can eat better in my bedroom move all my plugins. But that's not that's not the point. It's a brilliant album. And the one they did after that was just completely off the wall where he basically just, I think he scored a film that didn't exist.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's That's a good interesting.
0: Well, it's interesting you're talking about Catatonia. I just spoke to Jonas last night because they're touring. So, uh, yeah, they've got heaps going on, those guys. They've had quite a career, haven't they?
1: Yeah. I've, I've, I've fucking, I, love, I love Brave Murder Day. Uh, the... One after that, the yellow one and the blue one. And I think there was the album of Departure on it. I absolutely adored that album as well. Pretty much called a Departure song, which I played on repeat. Mm-hmm. So like that, so okay. I the coolest thing was actually playing with them and got like, oh, I think I just remember telling, fuck, oh, I keep on forgetting people's names. We got Black On Vice. So I told them, it's like, yeah, man. You played the gig and you played gig in London and I was outside trying to get in. I couldn't get in and stuff. I like thought, oh, it's a shame because I really want to see you guys. And then the I love Bible Balkan Masquerade. He was like, what? Someone actually listened to that shit. I had a Bible Masquerade T-shirt that someone stole, which I'm still gutted about because that was like, you know, I spent ages looking for one of those. Oh, man, being a metal fan. Oh, it's it's
0: it's a journey, isn't it? You know, you find your bands yeah. and your underground stuff, and I like and, Time, and Google some of that shit too, stuff
1: yeah. like that. Because I remember, like, I was well into hypocrisy, and they they played that um, song "The Abyss" on Headbangs Ball and had a video, hmm. and it wasn't on any of the albums I could get. Maybe it was on like I think some limited edition that was sold out that I never found. And I literally bought a compilation album, and ordered it, and waited six weeks for it just to get that track. The death is just the yeah. beginning. Compilation was it? I think it was on there. Yeah, and yeah. then I got it, and the CD had a flaw in it. Had like one little like weird thing. Uh, it was right on the song. Yeah, yeah, it was right on the song. So I was waiting another six weeks for another copy, and I finally got to listen to it, and it was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, when you chase stuff down like that as a as like <laughs> as, a, as a fan, when you finally get it, it's like it's so awesome. Go like, oh, this is like this is my treasured little thing. This is so cool. I think I, I kind of do miss that with streaming because everything's kind of available. You don't have to go hunting for stuff. There's no real rarities and stuff like that. It kind of takes some of the the fun out of it, of just literally just having to find that one track that no one else believes exists, but you know yeah. it exists. Keep telling people it exists and going like, Nah, man, you you must have been drunk or something. You must have been high. It doesn't exist. And eventually going, Ah. Got it. This out, motherfuckers! I told you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a
0: metalhead's journey that one. There, the quest, if you like, to find the most yeah. uh, cold stuff you can. But yeah, you're right. Those days, I've got to say, those days are gone. You can find everything. It's either on YouTube or it's Bandcamp or it's streaming in some way, isn't it? Even the most yeah, obscure that, shit.
1: Which I think is kind of, it's kind of shame. I think not that it's all available because I think you know having choice and being able to like listen to so much is really cool. I mean. For all the hunting to find that awesome track, I also remember the seeing the video on them on Headbangers Ball, going, "Oh, this is awesome!" Buying the album and then realizing that the other ten tracks on the album are absolute dog oh, shit. Yeah, and they put out one good one, and you couldn't listen to it before you bought it, and I was like, wow, "That's a waste of my money, wasn't it?" That was shit. So there's always, always that and stuff like that. So you've got you've got all that choice, but one thing I think is the thing I miss the most. Is that no one seems, I don't think, seems to make albums anymore that you listen to from the beginning and to the end, and it's planned as like this nice journey that you can listen to. I mean, the last people the last album I found that really did that for me is The Rivers of Nihil, which is why I like it so much. I can put it on, I can start it off, it builds up it goes through all the thing and then it ends and you go like, right, I've been on a journey, I can listen to this again. Whereas I think a lot of things now is just like, people want instant gratification. So the first song is a hit song and then got yeah. maybe one song is isn't there, another hit one, everything's released as singles and stuff like that. So you've kind of heard it all before and then, Maybe a couple of filler tracks on the album to like boost it up if they even do an album because I think lots of people are just doing EPs now and stuff like that it's like oh, I've dropped an EP and stuff like that and the thing I missed about an album is that it's like this nice snapshot in time of a band this whole thing where you go this is what they were like at this time and the sound from start to finish and this whole journey this is how they arranged songs this is how to kind of like you have this experience listening to it I kind of missed that quite a lot with things so it's, when you do find something like that which is I kind of find kind of rare it's, 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 it's absolutely magic because albums you used to have to listen to that you just put it on from start to finish and maybe there's like one shit song where you didn't didn't really like it and you maybe you could skip it on a CD or based on tape just wind it forwards or something like that or just not listen to it go like, oh, that's a shit song again. But, you know, the next one's going to be awesome. And you kind of knew it back to front. You listened to like kind of everything. Whereas, I think, yeah, because music's just, I think music is the advert for the t-shirt these days. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of a shame because it used to be the t-shirt is the advert for your music. Yeah. Absolutely. That's kind of gone away. But, you know, you, you can't just sit there for your whole life and think that everything's going to kind of stay the same because it doesn't and you know nostalgia is a very dangerous thing to kind of get wrapped up in you've got to realise the world moves on with or without you it doesn't really doesn't really matter so you know the best is to like just see things for what they are right now but I do miss the whole thing that that bands used to really arrange an album from start to finish so it was like a nice little journey through the whole thing Yeah. yeah there are some there are some
0: choice albums that have been released but they just don't take hold these days they're just they're there for a couple of weeks and then boom, onto the next one. The the Killer Be Killed album recently was good. The Greg Puchato solo album from uh Dillinger Escape Plan was another good one. It's probably my favorite album of the last few years. But um, it's just there's just it's either I, I also think the speed of life just with our integration into technology has meant that uh things just move so much quicker these days. We just don't have time to listen to Euthanasia. Remember when Euthanasia came out? We don't have time to listen to that yeah. for six months straight. It's just not what we do these days. I was obsessed with Elysian Fields off the album.
1: Mm. That track was just, just you, totally. Yeah. And so when Countdown to Extinction came out, same thing. But, you know, for me, it's always rest in peace. That is, you know, everyone's going to say that kind of thing. But, but it's you know, true. For years, and but- he is, he is. You'd say, Oh, Rust in peace is the best album. You get all like the old, old, gold guys going, Nah, man, you know, nothing is peace cells. But I think everyone's kind of come to the consensus that Rust in peace is, is definitely the best speed fresh album ever made, hands down. Well, oh, that'll <laughs> rain in blood, so I think they're on par. I know you could fight me on that.
0: <laughs> oh, really? You know, you're not a huge rain in blood fan. Or well, you are. you I, just
1: think I think it's all right. Thirty minutes of regression and stuff like that. But you know, for something that has has it all, Rust in peace has it all. It has it has all the riffs. It has the weird song, which is immeasurably cool. It has the absolutely blinding out first track. The outro track. It has the tornado of souls. It has this variation for the whole thing. You can listen from start to finish. It's yeah. like technically pretty much technically it still stands up today against a ton of other bands you will not you will find people that still can't play stuff that marty friedman played 30 years ago it's all that i mean slayer rainbow fair enough it's like you know your slab of aggression but i think it's more forgettable than rust and peace
0: great gym music when I used to go to the gym I used to listen to Rain it was actually what I listened to for a period of time there and it keeps you going a little bit because it is it's just unrelenting it just doesn't
1: ever let up and that's that's the beauty of it it's basically just being pummeled to death for 30 minutes and then you go like you know what I can still move my finger let's put it on again
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it was it, they had a very limited style Slayer, and and I didn't get into them for years. I must confess, I was so a death metal I guy. I think Season Season of the Abyss is the better album by them. I actually, I'd agree with you on that as well. Believe me, I would. I uh, certainly, in terms of listen consistency of being able to listen to it, no doubt. Yeah, and no variation doubt, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, Rain and Bloody is what it is, though, isn't it? It's just a, yeah. you, you know, it's like Rain being, just, yeah.
1: It's kind of like Peace Cells. It's kind of like, you know, it's a lot of, I think those fresh bands all kind of had the same trajectory where the album, the breakout album that they had is like the one that everyone thinks is like, oh, this is awesome and stuff like that. But then give it two albums down the line and they, they, I think they all made their kind of their their masterpieces, as it were.
0: Yeah. They learned, they learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. yeah. And then,
1: and then they all,
0: collectively lost it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what you said about what you what you said about Seven Sun is true for just about all of those yeah. bands, from Judas Priest to Metallica, even Megadeth. At a certain point it just it's the the law of diminishing return kicks in. And it just yeah. seems to be uh, a universal. I
1: also, yeah, I think it's also that, that 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 these bands just they've got to a stage where they have to sound like themselves and the hardest thing you can do is go i can't progress because no one's going to buy the album so i have to do what i'm doing over and over again because if you do, do the stuff that you you kind of want to do you know well, like metallica made a country album which is load and reload which you know that was the one of the biggest disappointments that i've ever heard was load and a terrible albums yeah, they're it's, not well written. Not. I, I, there's all these they're fanboys
0: really? out there that that just fall over themselves to it's not about defending the album, but they, they claim I the know. album is that it's something that it isn't. But my my point is if it was released by another band, nobody had listened to it. And that's the litmus test. Yeah. That's
1: those, that's pretty it, it, it is true. If someone else had released that it wouldn't have done anywhere near as well. And I always felt it should have been a solo album. There should have yeah. been James it Hector fulfilling his, his country fantasies rather than a Metallica album. Because, as it was, I mean, that, that was just disappointing. They lost it with that one. Um, I think the only band that kind of kept it mostly together for me is Megadeth. I mean, they had Risk, which is possibly a, a low point, but they were still... Mega, it's probably death. the worst of the worst. That
0: one there, unfortunately, that's probably that's that's in my opinion, that's way worse than load risk is just horrible, like irredeemable on just about every level. It's uh, I, I can't, I've tried with that album a few times. I got it when it came out when it first came out, and I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. It's something a bit different here, but man, it's, it's not the songs aren't there, the playing's there. That's the only yeah. redeemable characteristic is that they can still play.
1: Yeah, uh, so I think. For me, they're the ones that got away with it the most out of all of the bands, because um, you know, Slayer did that that really horrible album. It was absolutely terrible.
0: Um, *Diabolus and Musica*.
1: Yeah, and I don't think Not- they ever
0: really recovered from that one. God hates us all isn't good either, in my view. Uh it's no. it's just noisy. Yeah. They they had they as after uh seasons in the no,
1: world they're, they're the world painted blood and God hates us all. And the the lyrics for that and the way they're sung is exactly the same. Da 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 world painted blood and God hates us all. it's just yeah. like, yeah.
0: It's just oh, saying, it's like, yeah, well, even they—they'd even lost it by by divine intervention. The album that was recorded in different studios, and and even by the by then, you could hear it was it was like, what is going on here? And then they did the Undisputed Attitude Punk album, and uh, it was like they were trying to claim territory that was never theirs.
1: I still like both of those because they—they—that they, was like still had had the Slayer vibe to it. it was just after that, I just went totally tits off for me. I mean, you've got the punk cover, you know, the war well, the punk. I can kind of understand that as a cover album. That's kind of fun. But, you know, it's, that's what it is. It's a cover album, a fun mm-hmm. cover album at that point. And Divine Intervention still got some really fucking good songs on it. But I do see what you mean. It does, it's when something starts to not feel quite right about the whole thing anymore. They're just
0: largely forgettable that's my point and i, and I was around back then I, I loved them when they came out i want to be clear here yeah undisputed attitude i remember listening to a lot when it came out i loved it, it was i had a little bit of money by that stage because i'd left school and was working so um it it certainly had its hooks in me but did i listen to it after maybe a year afterwards no i would just never put it on ever again that's the point about the seven something have i put seven sun on in the last 12 months yeah a few times it's a killer album, it stands up, it's yeah.
1: it's timeless. I even like Somewhere in Time. I mean oh, I love that me. album. Yeah. It's, love it. it's yeah. I just remember just looking at the 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 cover artwork for that and trying to find all the things in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like all oh, the little things that way. That. But for me, yeah, for me, Maiden is definitely the peak was Power Slave, Somewhere in Time and Seven mm-hmm. Sun. Those three albums are just mm-hmm. peak of
0: their
1: powers.
0: There's five albums was, wasn't there. Yeah. yeah, five albums there in the middle for them. Are the, the 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 I often say that Maiden had the greatest stretch of classic albums of any band in history. Yeah. And that includes the Beatles and all the rest of them. I'm sorry, but that's the way I feel from Number of the Beast up to Se- a Seventh Son, it's just no bad songs. No bad songs. They're just all there amazing. Don't know how they did it actually. It's a great <laughs> dynamic.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's definitely the band dynamic that did it. They just worked very well together.
0: Yeah, just right the way through. Peace of mind, power slave, somewhere in time, uh, no prayer, uh, not no prayer. God, that's horrible. Sorry, I can't stand that album. Um, Seventh son and number of the beast, uh, the whole thing just because uh, of collective. They're all different. They're all ve- they're all got their own characteristic and their own unique personality. Yeah, all
1: lives, so it's like the oh. whole. And I think in some cases, flawed production does give them that vibe. Mm. And it does does have that, like, those those sounds to it. But you, know, you listen to the, all those things, and you can listen to them from front and the back, and they're just like a nice little story and adventure. And I think they did lose that after that, because... Yeah, they're an Odyssey. I, yeah. I can't put on Brave New World like that, because it's got that Blood Brothers song on, which I think is absolutely atrocious
0: same so, yeah we god we agree on just about everything yeah i i uh i hate it I, the and... <laughs> I, I just i i can't yeah i i remember when it, that was the one song on that album when that album came out because i liked it when it came out again but i skipped it, it which is it's a long lumbering piece of shit and uh but then they play it live it's the one song from yeah. that album that they consistently play live and I don't, is totally. it the Braveheart thing or, or whatever no that was the Klansman wasn't it but they, they linked yeah. it in with something else and it, it just was it's too long it's boring
1: it's very very boring it's like your blood brothers okay fine yeah. please go back to my history lessons in the next one thank you
0: yeah thank you <laughs> very much yeah yeah Mate, I'm gonna to have to wrap things up. I love talking to you though. Um, look, whenever you want to, whenever you want to have a chat, just please reach out. Particularly with the new yeah. material, just just talking metal uh-huh. in general, man. If ever you know, if ever you just want to talk to shit, man, and you want it, people out there to listen to two blokes talking about their love of metal, man, just hit me up.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, if people want to listen to about two people talking about metal, I mean, they must do because people listen to all kinds of shit these days. So, you know, having having like people shooting shit is probably not a bad idea. Say, so, yeah, I'd love to do it again.
0: Fantastic, brother. Thanks very much again. I really appreciate the opportunity to catch uh, up with you. It's been cool.
1: It's been a blast, man. All right, take care, dude.
0: Thanks, brother. Have a great one. Have a good evening.
1: That's Jeez, good metal.
0: Absolutely. Catch up. What do you think? Top fella, isn't he? I love it when we can just branch out and just have a good old chin wag about heavy metal. Iron Maiden, all of those topics that have occupied so much of my mental psyche over the past few decades and that James is such a good bloke to boot that's a bonus but uh, yeah we'll see what other plans we might be able to conjure together in the near future so there you go James McIlroy Cradle of Filth's guitarist from 2004 to about 2012. A great addition to the Chronicles of Filth. Go across to the "Chronic Cradle of Filth Conversations link on the Scars and Guitars website where you will also find mini chats, mostly with the pre-2000 members of the pre-2000 lineup. So of course there's the big one, Stuart Anstis, but there's the Ryan Brothers, Greg Moffat, Nick Barker, Paula Lender. You've got some Waz Sargenson. Nigel Wingrove, the art director and photographer Chris Bell and Mike Exeter too the famous mixing engineer. It's all there and hopefully, hopefully in the near future, or sometime anyway whenever it happens, it happens Les and Sarah will appear on the show Alright Thanks for tuning in. My name's Andrew McCoy Smith. I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a very goodbye for now This is
1: Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith.
0: I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return.
1: You know, if you're a band just starting out, you need to hear me.
0: Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise, wise words. There, uh, sage advice, mate, for anybody. No, never, because I I can't
1: go do cold chamber right now unless I get others involved.
0: Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment.
1: I think the staying power of the the fans and the staying power of the. Of the
0: songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silenos from Gear write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If uh, If the guys want to be on the stage, and it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self
1: aggrandizing. Complete piece of shit in there. I, I, I just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place.
0: And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive Overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner.
1: Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him. Just reach out for for the best stuff that they had.
0: Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson.
1: You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot.
0: And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook, with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.